Let me just pray to start as we were worshiping. Oran stops me in the middle of the song. He's like, where's your phone, Papi? What if uh, Tomas' dad calls about my play date later for today? What if he calls during the service? I'm like, it's, it's in the bag. We'll, we'll take care of it after, okay? <laughs> but I know we sometimes all come. And we have all these other things on our mind, all these other things we're thinking about. And so let's just take a moment, even for myself, just to focus on the Lord and on His Word, that we can be hearers as well as doers. Father God, thank you so much for your grace, Lord. Lord, thank you so much for how you provide for us. You care for us in amazing ways, Lord. Lord, you have made the way that we can know you, Lord. You have sent your Son. Lord, that he's paid for our sins, Father, that he offers forgiveness to all those who would receive him, to all those who would come. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that we can know you. That we can be your children. Lord, thank you for your word that it doesn't leave us wandering. Making things up on our own about who you are. And about what you have for us. Lord, but we can trust your word as we go through it. We can sit before it, Father. And I pray that your spirit now would move amongst us. And would speak to our hearts, Father, and more than just that we would just speak into our hearts, but it would transform our lives. It would transform the way we think, transform the way we act, or transform the way today that we love each other. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in chapter 4, they had been building the wall, and they had this outside people were against them. Those outside of those that were building the wall, these enemies of Israel were against them. But it actually resulted in two positive things. It resulted in them being unified. These people are against us. We need to hold together as we build this wall. And as they built the wall, the speed of the wall increased. They began to work on it day and night. The intensity went up as they built the wall. And last week we talked about what actually brought this construction what actually brought the work on the wall to a halt. And it was not people against them from the outside, it was that they were against each other. The division was because of their socioeconomic differences. Because of these differences between those who had and those who didn't have, between the poor and between the rich that were working on the wall, these divisions came forth and we saw that when it said the people and their wives, the poor and their wives, they cried out against their brothers. They cried out against them. They were in this situation because the wall had been the focus. They were working and putting everything on the wall. And they didn't have food. They had to sell their fields. They were having to take credit and they had no way to pay their credit back. And we saw at the end they were even selling their sons and their daughters. They were having to sell their sons and daughters into this economic slavery so they could have their basic needs met. That was the situation. That's what they were crying out against their brothers. And what's worse is that this situation, this oppression that occurred, was that the Jewish brothers were participating in it. They were contributing to it. They were a part of it. They were there. And we saw that Nehemiah was angry. It made him very angry. He was ticked off. He took counsel with himself and then he went to them because he's like, this is against God's heart. What we're doing is against his heart and it's against his law. He knew that it was against God's law for them to charge them for borrowing money. We're going to give you money, we're going to meet your needs, but we're going to charge you extra for that. So you're in a need, but we're going to charge you and make your need greater. We're going to charge you interest. And he knew it was against God's heart to re-enslave a people that God had freed. God had freed them. He had brought this people out of Egypt. He had brought them out of exile. And now they're putting them back into bondage. They're re-enslaving. They're putting them back into that same situation that God had brought them out of. And Nehemiah confronted the rulers. And he confronted the nobles. And they were silent. They had nothing to say. 
They were defenseless. There was nothing they had to defend themselves. They knew they were wrong. They knew what they were doing was against God's heart. They knew what they were doing was against His law. And it was making God's name look bad. Nehemiah says the nations are seeing this. The nations are coming. The nations are seeing how we're treating each other. And it makes our God look bad. We're not representing Him. And so last week I asked you to think about this passage. This was the application. This that we would we'd marinate it, we'd soak in it. And that you guys would think through it, you would pray through it, you'd reread it. And say, God, would you show us, as we consider this, would you show us, are we thinking, are we acting in any way the way they were thinking, the way they were acting? Are we doing that amongst ourselves, amongst the church, amongst living stones? Do we think in a way where I've got to take care of myself, I've got to protect myself, I've got to preserve things for myself, and I don't even care if it's at the expense of my brother or my sister? Are we thinking that way? Do we act that way? Because if we do, if we do that, if that exists amongst us, then that division that comes from that, it's going to result in damage to those who are vulnerable. It's going to delay the work of gospel proclamation. It's going to delay the work of our gospel demonstration. It's going to restrict both of those. And it's also going to discredit Jesus' name. If we have that amongst us, if we have that division amongst us, it will discredit Jesus' name. As it discredited God's name then, it will discredit Jesus' name now for us, the church. So this is a Jesus issue. This is a gospel issue. And so how do we deal with it? How did they deal with it in the time of Nehemiah and Jerusalem? How do we deal with it now in the church? And I would tell you what we're going to see here as we go through the end of chapter 5 is that the answer is grace. The answer for them was grace. The answer for us is grace. For the time with Nehemiah and the Jews, for us in the church, grace is always, 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 always required to make relationships right. In every relationship, it requires grace. It's always required for there to be justice instead of oppression. Okay, so let's read verse 10 through 19. And then we'll go through this verse by verse. I'll read first in English and then Lexa in Spanish. Chapter 5, verse 10, it says, Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priest, made them swear to do as they had promised. Verse 13, I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from this house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and empty. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Verse 14, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from, their, took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also preserved in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox, six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people." Verse 19, remember for my good, oh my God, all that I've done for this people. And notice as we start that even a repaired wall, God's work, if that's being done, if there's broken relationships between the builders, it doesn't honor God. He says, stop this work you're doing and fix yourselves. Fix these relationships that are internal. And so that's what we're going to see, is that these right relationships in the body begin with grace, and they continue with grace, and they honor Jesus. We're going to walk through those three things. Right relationships within the body. They begin with grace. They continue with grace. 
and they honor Jesus. That's what we need and before we do the work. That's what we need as we do the work. And so the first thing is that grace makes these relationships right. If you look at verse 10, we see this process that Nehemiah actually goes through and he takes the people through to make those relationships right. The first thing he does is he acknowledges his own part. He says, I have a role in this. I'm a part of this situation. As you look at verse 10, he says, Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. And there's disagreement here about how much Nehemiah participated. Did he directly participate? Did he participate, you know, indirectly? It really doesn't matter. He's like, I'm with the people. I'm part of this people. And this is happening amongst us. I'm a part of this. I have ownership in this. And for the same thing for us in the church today, for us, even in Livingstone, if there is division because of our differences, we should own it. If you're a part of this body, whether it's directly because of you, if it's indirectly, you participate in it. However, if it's part of us, we should own it. We don't get off. We don't get off the hook. We're a body. We're connected. If one of us is suffering, then all of us are suffering. We don't get to change that. And that's the way we need to think. We need to realize that I am a part of this and this needs to be addressed. And how does he address it? He says, we've got to stop doing what's wrong. He says, let us abandon this exacting of interest. Let's stop doing what we're doing that we know is wrong, that we know doesn't honor God, that we know doesn't reflect His heart. We need to stop this. In a sense, he's saying, let's repent. I've confessed, I'm a part of this, let me repent, let me stop doing this, but not just stop doing it. He says, let's do something different. And then he says, start doing what God has commanded them to do. He's like, we don't need to just stop charging them interest, we actually need to return everything. We need to make reparation, we need to restore the situation. And he says in verse 11, he says, return to them this very day, their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their houses and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and all that you have been exacting from them. Return it all back. Give it all back. Everything that you have, everything that you've taken, give it all back. And remember, this was a farming society. The wealth was in the land. The wealth was in what the land could produce. And everything that had to do with the land, they gave it back. We're all a part of this. Return it. And then notice how grace is over this. The poor didn't have to do anything to get it back. They didn't have to qualify. They didn't have to earn it. Look in verse 12. It says, Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We'll require nothing from them. We will do as you say. He starts and he says, I'm a part of this. He says, we've got to stop doing what we're doing, and we've got to start doing what God is asking us to do, and then we need to return it all with grace. They don't have to qualify. No one has to earn it from me. I just need to respond and do what I know God is calling me to do. If you guys are married, you should experience this on a regular basis. If you live with another person, you experience this on a regular basis. This week, I had to walk through this on... Well, Thursday morning. Because on Wednesday night, and what made it worse was that Nita and I had had two really, or even since Sunday, we'd had so many good days in a row. We were talking, we were sharing, we were connecting. It was amazing, like our relationship, we were, just, we were talking even about our marriage and about how, what God was doing in our marriage, and it was good, and we were just enjoying that. And I had, no excuse, some emotional days at work, some difficult things. I came home Wednesday night, we got the kids down, it was 9.30, and Thursday is laundry day. And so Wednesday night is laundry prep night. So we get together the laundry, we treat the laundry, we get all the bushels of the baskets, and we get it ready to go for Thursday when Nidia goes to the laundromat. And it was 9.30, and I says, babe, I, I just feel like i got to take a, just a quick nap. Okay? I'm going to take a quick nap, then I'm going to get up, and I'm going to help you. And I was like, I, I've been good to you, right? We, we've been good. Remember these last few days, our relationship has been good. Trust me, Right? I haven't offended you in days. And I said, and this is not, it's not that I'm going to help you. This is our job. This isn't your job that I'm helping you. This is our job. I'm a part of this. This is my laundry too. And I'm going to help you with it. So just please just trust me and let me take 
just a 30 minutes. Let me just kind of re, re, uh, what is that? re-energize and, then, and I'll be ready to go. You guys know what happened? Thursday morning, I wake up. Nita is as far as she can be on the other side of the bed. But I look over and all the laundry sorted, all the laundry's treated. I had to go to her. And I had to say, I'm sorry. I participated in this. It's completely my fault. It was wrong. I'm going to not do that again. Do not let me tell you that I will take a nap and I'll help you when I wake up from a nap. You know me. I know me. I can't do that. And you don't have to do anything to earn that. It's by grace. I, I need... Can we interact in this way? And she forgave me. It took her a little while, but she forgave me. But that's grace. I had to go through that process and that our relationship had to be restored in that way because of my offense against her. And that's what it looks like in my marriage. That's what it should look like in our body. We should constantly be going to each other and we should be saying, I'm sorry, I did this, I'm going to stop, I'm going to do this, and I, you require nothing for me to change. I'm going to do this. You don't have to qualify. You don't have to say you're sorry. I'm going to change because I offended you. It's my issue. I'm going to give grace. We should operate in that grace. We should treat each other with grace. And are you willing to commit to that? Not just in your house, not just with your family, but with this family. Because that's what was happening here, is that they didn't have this grace between each other. They were not considering the other. And Nehemiah says, we've got to start over. You've got to return everything. And we're going to walk through this. We're going to make these relationships right through grace. They don't have to do a thing to earn it. All the people promised. So you don't get to say, well, maybe, maybe not. Look at the rest of verse 12. It says, And, all, and I, called all the, I called the priests, and I made them swear to do as they had promised. He got the priests involved. Everyone was involved. The governors were involved. The rulers were involved. He brought the priests in to make sure this happens. We're all going to promise. Are you willing to respond that way to people in this body? Are you willing to say, I am going to commit to responding in grace, to making our relationships amongst each other right through grace? Because if we don't, there's consequences. If we don't treat each other with grace, if we don't have right relationships that start with grace, there are consequences. And if you don't know what consequences are, ask Annalise. She'll tell you quickly. She can explain consequences. Usually they're not good. Okay? And, and Nehemiah explains the consequences. Literally, he says, God will shake us out. Look at verse 13. He says, I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from this house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and empty. If you won't make your relationships between yourself right with grace, I'm going to shake you out. And he says, I'm going to shake you out of my house. You're not going to be my people. And I'm going to shake you out of my work. You're not going to do what I've called you to do. And you guys, we live in California. Everybody's here has gone to the beach. What happens when you get ready to leave the beach? Your towels are full of what? And what do you do? You shake it out. What does God say? If we don't choose to live in this way, if we don't commit to living this way with each other, He says, I'm going to take you like this, and I'm going to shake you out. That's what He's going to do. That's what Nehemiah says. I'm going to shake you out of my house. I'm going to shake you out of my work. That's what He says. That's what the consequence is going to be. Nehemiah shakes out the garment of his clothes. And then they all stood up, and they all said, we're in, right? And all the assembly said, Amen, I agree. And praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. And as I look at that, I'm like, why was he so harsh? Why did he have to be so serious? Why would he stand like that and say, you guys are saying, and I'm going to shake you out of this beach towel. He says, I'm shaking you out of my garment. God's going to shake you out of his house. Like dirt, like sand that you don't want to, that you want to leave behind because you don't want to take it with you. Like, why would he be so harsh to the people? Why would he give them such an example? And I think it's because he knew his people had been here before. 
We've done this before, guys. We, we've come to this place and we've committed to, to treating each other with grace. We've committed to starting over. And then we don't do it. As he thought about when they were rescued out of Egypt, when they were brought back out of exile just recently, right? They were sent in exile because they weren't obeying God. They weren't following his commands. They weren't interacting and treating each other the way that God had called them to. Because this was something that God had established for his people. All right? It's this idea of Sabbath. Every seven days, they rested and trusted God. Every seven years, they let the land rest and they trusted that God would provide for them. And then after seven periods of seven years, they would have this ultimate Sabbath, this, this culmination, this ending of it called Jubilee. And this basically is what Nehemiah has done. He said, we're going to have Jubilee right now. We're giving everything back. We're going to do this process that God has taken us through. And I want you guys to understand that because basically it's this ultimate start over that they get to have, that the people get to have. We're going to start everything over. We're hitting reset. And I want to read from Scripture. We read last week from Leviticus 25 as it talked about the interest. But then also here in Leviticus 25, it explains this jubilee. In verse 10, it says, And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. Everybody's freed. Everybody gets their property back. Everybody goes back to their family. Everything's made right. Everything is restored. Then look at verse 23 of chapter 25. It says, A land shall not be sold in perpetuity. It won't continue to be sold, for the land is mine, says the Lord. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. In all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. Every 50 years, at least once in everyone's lifetime, they got a chance to start over. They got a chance to completely start over, to hit the reset button, no matter how irresponsibly they had acted, no matter how much they had been sinned against. They got a chance to start over. They got their resources back. They got their wealth back because you know what? It's God's in the first place. And he's like, I'm giving it back to my people. And ultimately it shows trust in God. And so what I want to do, uh, maybe Emmanuel, if you'll come up, and then Larry. Everybody's going to get an envelope. Let me hand those out. And I'll tell you that there are good things in this envelope. They have something to do with chocolate and peanut butter and it goes by the name of Reese's. And there's numbers on the outside of the envelope. Once everybody has one, we're going to play a game. Who else needs one? Everybody gets one. And you guys are going to have to interact, move around just a little bit, okay? If you're going to participate in the game. Everybody got one? All right, so you've got a number on the envelope. The number is either in red, black, gold, or silver, okay? So we're going to play this game. The number that you have and the color of the number, that's what you keep, that's what you've got, okay? And we're going to make several decisions based off of the number that you have. So if you have a red number or a black number, you're going to lose your envelope, okay? So if you have a gold number or a silver number, go to someone who has a red number or a black number and take it from them. It's yours. You get to keep it. But remember what your original number is. But if you've got a red or black number, give it away. If you have a gold or silver, take it. <laughs> so if you had a black or red number, you have nothing now, right? If you have a gold or silver number, you've got more than what you started with. All right, now if, you've got, if you started with a gold or silver number and your number is even, you get to take the person with gold or silver who had an odd number. So if you've got an even gold or silver number that you started with, take from those who had an odd number. All of it. All of it. Take it all away. Take it away. 
Okay, so the only people that should have envelopes, and you should have a lot of envelopes, are people that have a gold or silver even number. Alright? Now, if you have a gold number, now you get to take from someone who had a silver number. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, wait, 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 wait. Wait, reverse that, reverse that. If you have a... Wait, we, this has got to make a point. If you have a silver number, take away from the gold numbers. It's like the rules change, don't they? <laughs> so you should only have envelopes if you have a silver even number. And you guys are accumulating a lot of envelopes. Frank, are you with us? <laughs> you got it? Alright, so you've got envelopes if you have a silver even number. Now, if you have a silver even number and your number is less than 45, give your even silver number to someone who has a number greater than 45. All of them. <laughs> so you should only have envelopes if you have an even silver number that's greater than 45. Karina and Frank. That's it? Nobody else has any envelopes left over? All right, now the last step, Karina and Frank, give them all back. Return them. One to everybody. Give all yours away, one to everybody. Doesn't matter. So you guys weren't standing up here. You couldn't see Karina's face and Frank's face, but they were not good faces. <laughs> uh, just, just give him back. <laughs> you have to promise to return it all. But why was it so hard for them, for Karina and for Frank? Why was it so hard for them to start over? They, they, they played by the rules. They had worked hard. They had done everything they were supposed to do. They had followed my instructions. And they had accumulated it all. They had all the Reese's peanut butter cups they could imagine. They each had 20 plus Reese's peanut butter cups. Enough to get sick on. When I said give it all back, return it, why is that so hard for us? Why is it so hard for us to give back like that, to return? It's because we don't understand grace. Because we have a misunderstanding of that. It's all the Lord's. He's given it to us. The land that they had, the Reese's peanut butter cups that you had, they're the Lord's. Give it back. Return it. Why are you trying to accumulate it? Why are you trying to hoard it? Really? I'm going to give it back? I'm going to return it? And they don't have to do anything for it? When Karina and Frank gave it back, I mean, there's other people, they lost the game. They didn't earn this back. I just had to give it back to them. That's the process. That's making it right. That's making relationships right. We're in the body. We're a family. We shouldn't accumulate amongst ourselves. We should meet each other as there's need. People's needs should be met. And God, in fact, He impacts our standing. When we come to Him, when we experience and receive the grace of Jesus Christ, James talks about the poor, I mean the rich are brought down, the poor are brought up. But we're all brought to a better place. We're all brought to Jesus Christ. And we get to be His sons and His daughters. And if we can see that in the light, these Reese's peanut butter cups become pretty insignificant. We're all brothers and sisters because we are sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. It'd be easy to return the peanut butter cups. And so I want us to think through that. Because Jesus, He was the ultimate start over. He was the ultimate jubilee. When He came, He says, I'm going to establish this kingdom. And he says, I'm going to pray that it would come on earth as it is in heaven. This kingdom would be established. And when he starts his ministry, we've read this before. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 17. He goes in the synagogue. He goes before the Jews. And he says, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. 
He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty, to give freedom to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty, to give freedom to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's Jubilee. He says, I've come to proclaim this ultimate start over, this ultimate reset, this ultimate institution of grace. In verse 20, and he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus has come. He brought the Jubilee. And he's like, this Jubilee, it's not for a year. It's for eternity. And it begins now. He says, pray that my kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. That it would look like this kingdom that God reigns and God is in control. Where there would be level playing fields within the body. Where there would be grace given back and forth. Where there would be peace. Where there would be right relationships. Where there would be just relationships between us. Where there would be unity between us. Not division because of our differences. That's what I want to see established. I want this eternal jubilee to start now. And Jesus says, I've come. It's been established. And you're hearing today, it's been fulfilled. I have... It's not going away. We're not going back. We're not going to have to redo this. Because the gospel leads to unity through the grace we have and the grace we give in Jesus. The gospel leads us to be united through the grace that we have received and the grace that we give in Jesus. That's what our relationships look like between each other. That's how we're to start over. That's how grace starts and initiates these just relationships, these right relationships between us. So with freedom in Him, we've begun these relationships, these right relationships. But trusting in Him, we have to continue. So Nehemiah returned it all back. They returned everything back to the people. We said, we're going to make this right. We're right right now. Everybody's been returned. Everything's just between us. But he says, we've got to continue in this. And that's what's hard. We, he says for the next 12 years as he was governor, he did these things to continue these relationships in grace. And so that was the process he followed to make the relationships right. Now we're going to fo- see what he did to continue those relationships, to continue to ensure that they were full of grace and that they were right. He didn't take what he deserved. He didn't take what he was owed. Because he knew by taking what was deserving, what was right, he had played by the rules within that system, within that culture, it was appropriate. He could take these things. He was governor. And he says, I'm not going to take them. Because he knew if I take them, it's going to put the burden on my brothers and sisters. If I take those things, I have to take them from, in a sense, the poor. I have to take them from those who are crying out, those who are suffering. I'm not going to take what's rightly mine in this system because I don't want to hurt my brothers and sisters. Look at verse 14 through 15. It says, Moreover, from that time... I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king. Twelve years. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance. He didn't eat what was allowed of him of the governor. I'm the governor. It's allowed of me, but he didn't take it. Verse 15. The former governors who were before me, they laid heavy burdens on the people and took from, their, took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. Let me give you an illustration of this. Jesus. Philippians 2, we looked at this last week. It says in verse 6 and 7, Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, He was equal with God, but He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He said, I am God. I have come to this earth. But instead of holding on to that, instead of holding on to what was owed him, what was rightly his, what he deserved, he says, I'm going to give that up and I'm going to come in the form of a man. I'm going to humble myself. And then it says later that he humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. He gave up what he, what he deserved. He was God. And he says, no, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to give that away. Because if I keep that, it's going to be at all of our expense. We would all be in, be in hell for eternity if Jesus Christ had not given up what was rightly His. That's the truth. 
He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Second, Nehemiah worked hard. He wasn't working for himself. He was working for God. He was working for the people. It was God's work. Look at verse 16. He said, I also preserved in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land. And all my servants were gathered there for the work. He worked for God. He wasn't working to increase what he had to acquire land, to acquire wealth, to acquire security. He says, I'm going to work for God, and it's going to benefit the people. Let me give you another illustration. Jesus. John 6, 38. He says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Jesus says, If you've seen me work, you've seen my Father's work. I'm doing my Father's work. That's what I'm about. It's not about my will. It's not about what I desire. It's about what God desires and what He wants. I've come to do His work. Are we willing to say the same thing? Is our work the work that God has given us? Is that what we want to be about? Is that what we want to focus on? He didn't take what he deserved. He worked hard. And then lastly, he gave generously. This is what Nehemiah did. And generous giving is always, always, always sacrificial. It's not generous, it doesn't cost you something. You don't give of your excess. Look at verse 17. He says, Moreover, this is Nehemiah again, there was at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Verse 18. Now what was prepared at what? At my expense. What was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox, six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all of this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. He cared for all these people, 150 men, and that would have meant their families as well, the Jews, the officials, all, those, all the Jews that were coming from the surrounding nations that were coming to help. He said, I fed them all for the next 12 years, and I didn't use the, governor, the, the allowance that was given to me as a governor. It was at my expense. I, he was generous, generous to the people. He didn't give out of the extras or leftovers. Let me give you one more illustration. Who do you guys think it's going to be? Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. And listen, it says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it explains this grace. That though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. He gave sacrificially of his position, of his resources, of what he had, so that we could experience it. He was generous, and it cost him everything. And so we, the church, like Jesus, like Nehemiah, we have to be willing to limit ourselves and give away. We have to be willing to limit and give away our time. We have to be willing to limit and give away our resources. We have to be willing to limit and give away our money. We have to be willing to limit and to give away our privacy. This is amongst the body. This is the people working on the wall. This is God's people. For us, it's the church. For us, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a part of Living Stones, then we need to be willing to limit ourselves and to share with each other. And you see this in Acts. It's nothing new. It's what happened after Pentecost and they came and what? Everyone was sharing with each other as much as they had need. It doesn't mean that our differences go away, but it means that our differences don't make divisions. As there's need, we share. As there's need, we give. And we do it generously. That's in the church. And a lack of generosity... A lack of doing these things is because we have a wrong perspective. If you notice in Leviticus 25, it says, because you're just, it's, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, right? He says, when he talked about the Jubilee, he says, let me make sure I say this right. Sorry, Alexa. I'm going off script. In chapter 25, he says, verse 23, it says, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. God says, it's mine. And you are strangers and sojourners with me. You're just temporary residents. The land is mine. 
You're temporary. And if we don't do this, if we don't respond in this way, if we don't continue these relationships in this way with grace, it's because we don't understand that it's all God's. And this is just temporary. It's like that you were go to a hotel room and you check in for three days. And you walk in. And you're like, I can have better curtains than this. You know what, I'm going to change the bedspreads. And I'm going to install a new countertop in the bathroom. And you call in work crews to do that and you put all your efforts on making this room, this hotel room that you're going to be in for three days, look just the way you want it. Make it nice. Comfortable for you. Who would do that? Who would change the curtains in a hotel room when you're going to stay there for three days? Who would change the bedspreads and go to Bed Bath & Beyond and buy new ones? Who would bring in a crew to change the countertops in a, ba- in a hotel room? It makes no sense. Why would, why would we do that? Why do we hold on to? Why do we think, no, this is me. I've got to take care of myself. I've got to build up what I have. I need to take care of my wealth. I need to take care of my own security. It's because we don't realize that it's all, it's all God's. And that we, as Peter says, we're strangers, we're aliens. This is not our home. We need to think that way in order to continue in these relationships of grace. And I want to encourage you guys. I think in many ways, we're doing this. In many ways, as a body, this is what we're doing. Do we have opportunity to, to change? Do we have opportunity to be transformed? Absolutely. But I think about different people in the body. I think about Ernesto has a full schedule with school, with work, with worship. But he goes to his work and he says, I cannot work on Sunday mornings. And if that means that I can't have this job, then I can't have this job. But I can't work because I'm going to go be with my family. This is the time and during the week that I gather with my family. And that's more important than my work. And if it means I can't have work, I'll find another job. Emmanuel, you guys might know, know this, but Emmanuel and Melanie, when they came out here three years ago, he took a job that was for less money and he came to a place that cost a lot more. He's making less money and it's more expensive to live here. But he came here because, well, this is the work that God's doing. I want to be a part of it. Larry, if you guys were at my house yesterday for pancakes, and by the way, everybody's invited every Saturday morning you want pancakes, come to my house. And sometimes there's bacon. Yesterday, Larry brought his bacon. Big pack of bacon. He says, uh, can I bring my bacon? I'm like, well, you can use your bacon, but your bacon's going to be gone. Because if everybody's coming over here to eat, it's not that I'm going to make you two, three pieces of bacon and put it back in the fridge. He's like, no, that's cool. Larry's bacon's gone today. He had a full pack of bacon yesterday. It's gone today. He brought his bacon. He shared it with everybody. When Larry's down in the courtyard, he doesn't take his chips ahoy a couple at a time. He's walking around the other day talking to the kids, talking to people in the street. He's got a full box of chips ahoy. If you walk down in my courtyard with all these crazy kids running around with all these people, if you have a box of chips ahoy, you're going to go back without your box of chips ahoy. I'm pulling by and I've got Karina in the car. Larry, I want to. These kids, Larry, can I have some chips ahoy? Larry goes back up, the chips ahoy are gone. He's he's like, these are mine, but hey, they're yours too. They're not mine. I'm sharing these. I'm willing to give these away. He does that. Josh and Brittany, they moved specifically to be a part of this ministry, to be a part of this church, to be a part of what God was doing here. When they chose to move, they said, we need to consider these things. The church was a huge part of where they moved and why they, when they moved and why they moved. Valentine, this last week, she got a call, a last minute, that Natha was sick, Grace had to go to work. Valentine goes over and cares for a sick child so that Grace can go to work. It's happening amongst us. We continue to do this. Nancy and Linnea, they give clothes to Melanie. And then Melanie, these little girl clothes, they give clothes to Melanie. Melanie gives clothes to Nidia. Nidia gives clothes to Patti, who lives in our building. And I don't know who Patti gives them to. But do you guys see this? How this happens? The Browns, if you guys are a part of this body and you haven't sat in the jacuzzi at the Browns, it's, it's your fault because it's open. 
their house is open. They have brought in neighbors. They have brought in the body to live with them. They have opened their house to us. It's open. It's for us to use. We go there when they're not there. That's what it looks like to continue in these relationships of grace. I don't deserve to sit in their jacuzzi. Those kids don't deserve those chips ahoy. I didn't deserve to have bacon yesterday. But it was given in grace. And it continues those relationships in a right manner. That's what we have to do amongst each other. And that's what we are doing. We have to continue that. But as we do that, the world's going to look on. They're like, what in the world is wrong with them? Why would some man open his house and let people go over and swim in his pool and bring in their wet towels while he's not there? Why would you give away your bacon? Why would you go care for someone else's sick child? The world's going to look and they'll be like, well, what's wrong with these people? They're going to look at us and say, they deserve to go collect their things, take care of themselves, ensure their own security, and yet they're caring for each other in this way. And I would tell you that as we do that, that that's what it looks like to live like Jesus. That's what it looks like to be set apart. That's what it looks like to be holy, is to be in these relationships of grace with each other. We would have lives full of grace. Jesus has come. He's established this jubilee. Let's live in it. Let's care for each other in that way. That's what the church should look like. We should be generous and sacrificial while the world is stingy and self-serving. We have to look different. That's what our family relationships should look like. Because as we live this way, like I said, the world will notice. Jesus said to his disciples, he says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so this is nothing new. Matt actually did this several months ago. But if we live this way, if we start relationships in grace, and we continue relationships with grace, we'll look like this beautiful tapestry. All these different threads that are interwoven, that are connected, that interact with each other in literally millions of ways. So all these threads that interact with each other, that cross each other, that touch each other in millions of ways. And yet, together they make this one beautiful picture, this one beautiful tapestry. And if we have these relationships that are made right through grace and that are continued in grace, this is what we'll look like to the world. They'll see God and they'll see His people. And He will be honored. But if we don't live in this way, if we think about ourselves, if we oppress our brothers and sisters and we look out for our own and we don't interact in grace, we're going to look like this worn out bath towel. Alright? This still gets used in my house. But even worse than looking like this towel... It's going to be like this. There's going to be division. All the threads are going to be broken and torn apart. Where we're different, we're going to separate. And we're just going to look like a pile of rags. That's what we'll show the world. That's what we'll say Jesus looks like. God wants us to be a tapestry. He wants us to be beautiful. He wants us to reflect Him. He's made us in His image. He's put us together. And by grace, He has restored our relationship with Him. And by grace, He wants to restore our relationships together. And we would proclaim that gospel and we would demonstrate that gospel. But the only way that we'll do that is if we remember that it's all for the Lord. Look at verse 19, the last verse. It says, Remember from my good, O my God, all that I have done for this people. It sounds a little bit like Nehemiah is bragging, but I don't think he is. This is his journal. He's saying, God, please, you are the one that I'm doing this for. God, you are my audience. God, I'm not doing it so that other people will praise me. I am doing this for you in the quiet. God, you are my motivation. I'm not doing it for any other reason. And for us, our motivation should be the gospel. Our motivation should be Jesus Christ. Our motivation should be... Jesus, you are my only audience. You are the reason I am doing this. Because of what you have done for me, how you have changed me by your grace, how you have made my relationship right with God the Father, how you went to the cross for me, how you sacrificed for me, how you didn't take what you deserve for me. 
I'm going to respond in this way. It's all for you, Jesus. He's our only audience. And once you've experienced that grace, then you can give that grace. Right relationships in the body begin with grace, and they continue with grace, and they honor Jesus. Right relationships in the body begin with grace, continue with grace, and they honor Jesus. If our relationships with each other look like that, it will honor Jesus. And it will not delay our proclamation, and it will not delay our demonstration of the gospel. And it will not discredit Jesus' name. It will honor His name. And we have to be that way. The foundation of anything that we do has to be the way we interact with each other. Who cares about the wall if we are broken between each other? Who cares about repairing the wall if we are in disrepair? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. God, that you first loved us. Lord, transform our hearts with your grace. Lord, convince us that everything is yours, Father. Convince us that we are temporary, that we are strangers, that we are aliens here, Father. This is not our home. Convince us that we can trust you. And so we can make our relationships between each other right, just as you have made the relationship with us right. Lord, help us believe that we can continue in grace. God, really help us believe that. Help us believe that your word is true. Help us believe and by faith respond to this. Help us do that in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our relationships. Lord, help us to do that as a body. Help us to care for one another. Help us to maintain these relationships with grace, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.